Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is the basketball series. Another week under the wraps. NBA playoffs. A lot to talk about. Pro, what's going on? Folks, what are you up to, brother? Just another fucking week in uh, in beautiful Irvine, California, my man. You getting a tan out there? Fuck no, I'm not a tan. Someone asked me if I'm going to the beach. You know, yesterday I said, do I really want to? Do I really want to dodge harpoons for another afternoon? Fuck that. Don't think I'm a beached whale from fucking SeaWorld. I'm not doing that bullshit. No, no tan, unfortunately. It's illegal to harpoon whales down that, that, that end of the world. If you're in Japan, maybe a little bit different. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, another great week with the trainers and stuff. I had a, a great incident. that It wasn't really an incident, but it was a pretty funny moment. Look, it is the wild, wild west out here, man. I've seen like clients get stolen Guys going at it, yelling at each other, you know. What do you mean clients get stolen? So, like, from other trainers or agents? Trainers, because there's a, yeah, train, no, (laughs) not even agents, fuck agents, trainers. No, I've seen, this is some bull, I mean, I've seen some fucking wacky shit. So, you know, and and I've heard that story, like, of, like, trainers stealing. I've never done it before, ever. I would never do it. I'd rather a fucking hand job from Edward Scissorhands and steal a client from another fucking trainer. Like, forget about it. But, um, so I'm, I'm working my guy out and a trainer comes up, uh, the, the kid's dad was, uh, the player's dad was sitting watching the workout. And all of a sudden this trainer who's been talking to me all week, like, Hey, you want to grab something? I really want to learn from you. All that bullshit. I'm like, give me a fucking break. Come on, pal. Stop. Let's stop with the fucking madness. So he sits down and starts watching film with a parent of a player that was working out. I was like, this fucking guy. So the player turns and just like, like gives me the like shrugged shoulder. I'm like, the fuck do you want from me? I don't know what's going on. So the fucking, he does it for like 10 minutes. He closes his laptop. You know, you know how like that whole like assistant coach deal, look at me fucking like clips on a laptop bullshit. So he's doing that and he leaves and he goes, bye, Mike. I'll see you tomorrow. And, and I, and I turn to my player. I go, do you know what that was right there? He goes, no. I said, that was the pool boy fucking my wife and saying, I'll see you tomorrow, Mr. Procopio. Check on those chlorine levels. And he walked the fuck out. I mean, I'm like just shaking my fucking head, folks. I mean, like, oh, God, this fucking trainer thing is unbelievable. It's fucking unreal. And, you know, what they do out here is they work players out and get them tired. Not one fucking correction. Not one stop. Not one, hey, your shot's fucked up. Let's do maybe a little tweak. Hey, you traveled right here. This is why our fucking players, 80 to 90% of the young players in the United States are fucked up. Most great players are just going to be great. It doesn't matter what fucking trainer we're. It doesn't matter if Ray Charles works you out. You're going to be good still. But a lot of these mid-level and bad players that really fucking need this instruction are getting instructed by mostly half a fucking moron, not even a full moron, a half a fucking moron. And just, it's like practicing game seven, last second shots for an hour and a half at a time. That's all they work on. 
It is unfucking believable. Look, I am not perfect by any stretch of the fucking imagination as far as a workout guy. I never said I was, but the shit that they fucking teach, these players would almost never fucking do it, both. Never do it. Look, like the AI, like AIS, Europe, like that's why I respect the fuck out of it. They're not perfect either. But like they don't have their guys working on that bullshit. Yes, they're not as athletic. Yes, they're not as physically dominating talented like the United States guys. But they have a foundation of this is what you do in games. We're going to rep the fuck out of it and we're going to correct you. Usually it's usually by a Serbian threatening to kill you and running mountains, but they'll correct you and they'll be a little psychotic when doing it. That's it's just not done here. They just make shit up like you can see them wanting to like drill by drill, just thinking of something more elaborate to, to work on. And again, no correction. But that fucking guy sitting next to the parent. Of my, like, I didn't give a fuck, Wes. Like, you know, I, you know I, I, I'm not like I'm not. I'm not fucking paranoid or anything like that. So I didn't really care about it. The player was more confused about anything. This guy has never met this parent a day in his life. And I was like, this fucking guy, it's fu- it brutal. Is fucking- I mean, that's usually in the agent world, agents would steal players, but not in front of the agents. <laughs> like you yeah. Usually go through a teammate that has that agent. Hey, let me get a meal with him, whatever. But that's brutal, right? Right in front of your nose. Very disrespectful. Um, <laughs> but. I like the cool guy reference though. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very applicable. But it's, I guess, you got to talk about, you know, the the new grift is 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 not probably not just. I wonder if this it happens in other sports. It has to, right? Baseball. I mean, football not as much because probably not as much skill involved. Maybe for quarterback. But I mean, it's a new. It's a new. It's a new grift. Folks, the trainer has more power than the agents do. And not all trainers are bad. Don't get, don't get me wrong. There are good trainers out there. But the trainers are in with these kids when they're like 11, 12 years old, and they work with them for four or five years before they got to make a real big basketball decision. So the AU coaches, the college coaches, they never used to go through the trainers at all. Now they all, they go, that's all they do. Like usually it was the, tra- the, co- uh, the agent gets the guy for pre-draft and puts you with a trainer. Yeah, like yeah, their yeah. trainer, blah, blah, blah. We had that with Bill Duffy. We had that with a couple of agents. Same right? as me. When I was yeah, with Tim Grover. Yeah, for sure. We talked about that last week. But now it's, they get the player and they have to bring the trainer. And a lot of times it's just like a, an agent might sign five guys. They might have seven different trainers you know, working out five guys. Sometimes there's two trainers working with one guy, which never works. Never works because, you know, it's a power grab. Everybody is chasing to get credit and all this bullshit. It, it is amazing. It's a new but, grift, yeah, though. Like, it really is because you, you yeah. can make a lot of money doing it. Like, you run a good academy oh. um, and then most coaches, are, you know, they're charging 50 to 100 an hour per session and then you factor that in if you get three or four kids in your group. But not only that, it's like the guy sitting with the laptop is the, the grift is look at my network. I know look at my look at the polo shirt I have on with my NBA logo. I know, you know, it could be as simple as going to shake um, Steve Kerr's hand and look, I know Steve Kerr. Like, you know, and that's the grift now. So it's just the kids are the ones that Folks, are affected. I wanna say right now there's three or four trainers making seven figures, not Oh yeah, 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 like that with the LA facilities and whatnot. Oh yeah, I agree. Well, no, the the social media following. So they'll have 300, 400, 500, a million 
followers on either Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And then they do product placement. They do this, they do that. They do like uh, inspirational speaking all over the world. Guys go to China, make 25, 30,000 a week. It's crazy. Now a lot of these mid-level traders that are, are fucking brutal usually, they're still they're making 200. That's what I'm saying. You can make good money. You can make a living, a full-time oh, yeah. full-time living for, from it, you know, and it's that that's the yeah. thing. The ones that are affected are the kids because parents sometimes don't know any better. You just think, oh, this guy knows this guy knows this guy. Um, no doubt. And and you go with them. So yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting observation. We'll get another one from you next week. But we have a recru- a request from our listeners, bro. Um, they would like you to pronounce our friend OG from Toronto's last name just one more time before we kick off. Oh, shit. All right. OG Ananabi. Ananabi. <laughs> An- Anunabi. <laughs> what is it? You know what it is. It's Anobi. It's, it's, it's not Anobi. A Anobi, not Ananobi. But yeah, that's a, that's a shout out for a listener that, that put that request in. So let's get rolling. A lot, a lot, a lot to get through. Let's start with Golden State and Denver. Sweep incoming pro, who knows? It's currently 3-0. Denver had their chances in game three. Um, but as we discussed on the call-in not long ago, that a new death lineup for the Warriors, Paul, Paul, Steph, Thompson, and Draymond Green is causing massive problems um, analytically on the court. Defensively, it's just it's a very, very good lineup. Um, the needle really moves with it. What was funny is in game three, that lineup, in the first quarter, wasn't great for him. It was like a like a minus seven, and then and they just piled it on after that. Um, the Warriors are roaming off Aaron Gordon, uh, which I kind of called pre pre series. I, I figured they would um, have when Draymond's on Jokic, they would send help off of him and have that guy roam. Um, when Draymond's on Gordon, they would have Draymond uh, roam, and and it's been the case. Gordon's just not shooting it well enough from three. He's made a few, but they, they, they don't care. You know, even if he goes one for one, two for two. They're not too worried because he, he doesn't want to shoot a lot of them anyway. Um, he's more getting to the basket athletic. So that's been the issue there. Um, Draymond Green's making Jokic work. I mean, Jokic is still putting up numbers. He's still obviously their clear, by far, best player. He's 20, 29 points, 13 rebounds, five assists for the series. So his assists are down heavily. And I think the, the Warriors are going to live with him scoring over Draymond and working rather than getting other guys involved. Um, at the end of the day, Denver just don't have enough. They don't have enough horses to battle with this Golden State team. I thought maybe two games, probably, you know, I thought 4-2 series for the Warriors, just based on the Denver factor. And, you know, the Warriors always, it's one game in the series, they'll just kind of coast through and maybe lose. And that looked like it was going to be yesterday, but they turned it on in the second half, especially defensively. I, I just don't think Denver have enough talent to get through it, pro. So I think maybe Denver salvage it, but at best this is 4-1, if not a sweep, pro. Yeah, I mean, they they have all the Golden State has all the you know the sort of the steam behind them. Like you said, if you're gonna you got to protect home court, try to steal one. Obviously, in the first two games, maybe or you know you protect your home court, you get beat two. You protect home court twice, and then maybe you steal in game five. But when you're down three zero, there's really nothing there. They don't have enough. I thought that they would win the series because I thought, again, it just, you know, it's an illusion sometimes going into the playoffs, how a team's playing, why Golden State wasn't playing well. But then now they're just, they're just throwing it on there. I mean, you know, with Poole averaging 28 and Steph averaging 25 and Clay averaging 22 and, you know, even Wiggins getting in at 13. He had some like, big shots for him just, too. Yeah, Wiggins hit a, a big three for him um, in game three as well. So he's been effective. 
no doubt. And, you know, in this, you've seen in the playoffs itself, like role players really got to step up. They got to step up with the shot making. They got to step up there. And then, you know, Will, look, Will Barton is doing okay, shooting 43 from the field, averaging 16 and 7 over the series. Jokic is doing his thing, but no one else is stepping up. I mean, Gordon's averaging 11 and 7 with, you know, shooting 25 from the three. Look, this, the playoffs is the true meaning of what your worth is in the NBA. If, you know, you hear all this, oh, everybody's hating on me and all this bullshit. First of all, I, that's the first time I've ever used hating in a sentence, and it'll be the last time. But second thing, like everyone's saying, oh, I don't get my love. You know, I'm way better than this. Well, you know what? In a playoff series, you, you're going to find out how good you really are. And Aaron Gordon, you know, with all the players they have out, had a, a great opportunity to really raise his value. And he is a valuable player to an extent, but you really, truly know how your value is based on what you do in the playoffs, in my opinion. And what happened with that DeMarcus Cousins? I was working guys out. Uh, we were watching on the, one of the TVs in the gym while we were working out in between, in between sets. Like, did DeMarcus Cousins get into it with Will Barton in, like, game one or game two? I think a little bit. I think it was around the, the technical fouls and all that, yeah. Um, okay. But just, just standard stuff in the playoffs, back and forth. But to your point about... Um, making your name in the playoffs. Draymond Green made a comment, I think yesterday, that the playoffs is when you realize the guys that think they're the guy, are they yes. really the guy? And, and he's spot on. Yes. He's spot on because you can put up numbers during a regular season on a bad team. You can average 20 and 10 and I'm the guy. It becomes nut cutting time. And you might have, there might be a series where you're not that guy and you have to buy into that role for that series. You know, um, we're, we're seeing it, you know, in our next series we're going to preview uh, with Steven Adams. But, Sometimes it's not your series. Sometimes the matchups don't work. Sometimes you've found you've gone to the well and found something, and you're like, "Hey, this is going to work for this series." But we're going to need you to stay focused with it, and we're going to need you next series. So you might be ten and ten this series, and the next series you're going to be back to twenty five and ten, and it's spot on. Um, that's where you make your money. And there's a lot of guys that get found out in the playoffs about you know their role, their touches, it changes, adjustments, and they don't like it, and they pout, and they're not getting their twenty and ten they get in the regular season because it's a different ball game and. It's hard to beat a team four times in a seven-game series, even even a one versus eight seed, because you get to know each other and all that. So that's a spot-on uh, point for you. But yeah, this series isn't going to go much longer. Um, I'd, I'd hope the Warriors wrap it up and get some rest for the next round. But they're they're looking really good. All right, Minnesota and Memphis. This is a very swingy series. This is kind of poker-esque in a PLO poker game for me. Um, very swingy all over the place. Very hard to pick at the moment. Minnesota punch them in game one in Memphis. A lot of shit talking back and forth. Memphis win game two. Minnesota up big in game three, bro. They were up, they were up massively. And then Memphis go on a 42 to 12 run in the final 13 minutes of the game to win by nine. Um, that is a testament to a young, inexperienced Minnesota. So it really showed they couldn't put their foot down. And once the bleeding started, it just they just looked like they were going. To, they looked like they were defending the lead rather than trying to play basketball. And whenever you do that in a playoff game, you know that 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 lead of twenty plus points in the second third quarter doesn't matter because there's so many more possessions left. And they they look like they were just trying to shut up shop and we're just going to defend this lead. And, and they ended up losing that game. Caught another one, pro. Our picks on series aren't as good, but our adjustment picks are, are spot on. Adams is pretty much out of this series. Um, benched after game one, 
it's just a tough series for him. It is what it is. Cat is a tough guard for a Stephen Adams because he, he can take him outside. He can shoot the three ball so well. I mean, he won the three-point shooting contest. The adjustment for Memphis is they've put Triple J <clears throat> at the five and he has guarded Cat as good as anyone I've seen um, because he has length, he has size, he has enough strength to hold him off on the block and he's giving Cat fits. I mean, Cat, Cat had a... Had, had a First, his first couple of games were okay, but still inconsistent after that first game where he replayed really well. His game three was horrid. He's going to have to bounce back in game four today. But this is a pretty fun series, very, very swingy. So I've enjoyed this one so far, bro. Yeah, Bogues, you know, it, with that whole big blowout in, in comeback, it goes to show you, I had a parent of one of the players that is training for the draft, uh, not someone I'm working with, come up to me and said, how does that happen? I go, this, this is something that your son should take notes on. Because too many possessions, NBA players, especially young ones, like to shit fuck away from possessions, like to take tough shots. Like, even though they got a big lead, they want to take a, uh, like one of those, like, you know, know, range testing shots and take that like contested one foot three going out of bounds with like 19 on the shot clock. This is where possessions, especially in the playoffs, become really, really important. They all matter or none of them matters. And that's what you got to understand. Yeah, you're going to take some tough shots late in the shot clock. But this is where, especially when you have big leads. Look, I've been I've been on both sides of that. I mostly lose leads when I was in Dallas, but sometimes we came back from big deficits. But it's one of those things sometimes you, you, you it's like you're trapped in a dream and you're like running in quicksand. Like you can't get out of it. There's not enough timeouts. There's not enough corrections to be made. The other team just has it. And you're just like, you're nonchalant turning the ball over or taking tough shots. And the other team capitalizes on that. And, and on the other side of that, like Memphis, they, they never quit. They kept on doing, you know, keeping up with what they needed to do. Just kept on fucking trying to attack the basket, get great shots and trying to force, you know, force Minnesota into tough contested shots for the most part. And they got themselves right back in that game. And it goes to show you, if you're watching the playoffs and, you, and you're and you a coach or you're a player, understand how important these possessions are, how important, important spacing is, how important screening is, how important is getting great shots and passing up tough shots and, and staying off sports center to get on, to get to somebody else. And so they can make an easier play. And this is where ball movement and spacing and attacking is really important. And I don't, I don't see Minnesota having a chance here, but Hey, look, they had a great season. You know, it's, it's still not officially over yet, obviously, but I just oh, don't two see one pro that. game four is about yeah. to start today. Come on, man. You're off the fence already. Yeah. I'm off that fucking fence. To be honest. <laughs> I'm off the fence. Minnesota. But they're, they're a great, they're a good team. Look, I don't, I don't, I don't think they have much of a chance, but then again, I'm like 0 and 9 in playoff predictions. So mm. why the fuck would anyone listen to me? I, I just don't think I don't think Minnesota has enough, but that's just me. But yeah, that that was a tough one to watch. The thing that scares me about Minnesota is they're young and dumb, you know? So yeah. you just don't know, like I said, they, they're young and inexperienced. I, I don't think they they feel the pressure when they're supposed to, and I don't think they feel like they're supposed to win when they're supposed to. They're just they're young and dumb. So that could work in their favor. John Moran had a horrible game offensively last game, but just for people out there, um, ends up with a triple double and just a testament to when you're having when you're not doing well shooting the ball or it's not rolling for you, he did other things to help them win the game. So that was um in their comeback, he was instrumental with creating for others and they're, they're focusing so much attention on keeping him out of the paint that he, he got other guys going, finishes with a triple double. So you can always do something else. All right, Phoenix, New Orleans, currently two one. Look. 
Another run of injuries. Booker's done his hamstring now. He'll probably be out for the series if I'm a betting man. I don't know. Don't know how bad it is. They've kind of kept it pretty quiet, which is concerning. My question is: Do they need him this round, Pro? I don't think so. I think they. I think New Orleans have been fantastic. I think Phoenix is just going to grind him to death for a series win. Um, maybe New Orleans get Game Four. Maybe, maybe it goes four two with with the Booker out. But I don't think. I don't think this is this is how deep Phoenix are, in my opinion. Um, I think that uh, I'd like to see New Orleans get game four and they get a series. I think it'd be fantastic, but I don't think that's going to happen. Look, the emergence of Brandon Ingram can't go unnoticed. He was quiet in game one, but he's been huge in their last two games. He had 34 on 11 for 19 shooting in game three, 37, 11 and nine in game two for a win. He's been very, very good. He's gotten better and better. I mean, he's the X factor for them in my opinions. Um, McCollum definitely helps, but I think Ingram is he's a, he's, he's a started to establish himself as a great, playoff shot maker. When it bogs down, sometimes long twos contested, he can get a shot up, a la what Kawhi did to us a couple of years ago in the NBA Finals. CP3 was just brilliant in game three. I mean, his, his last twelve, his last quarter of that game, he just controlled it so well. It was some, some weird stat that he either contributed or scored on like, you know, 15, 15 or 20 possessions in that fourth quarter. Um, amazing. Aiden was huge in game three, 28 and 17. Um, do you see New Orleans stealing another game? Do you think they can salvage a series or do you think uh, Phoenix just grind them to death and, and wrap this up? I think that they'll steal another game at some point, but I, I think this is going to be a 4-2 deal. I, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think they have enough. I don't think there's enough offense after those two guys, you know, after Ingram and McCollum, I don't think there's enough offense for them to really make a run on it. They could grind it out and try to maybe keep it close and then, you know, a couple of guys make some shots and things. But even without Booker in this series, you know, you still have obviously, you know, CP and, and, and Aiton, and then you got Bridges. Even like Cam Johnson can make shots, even though he's not doing a great job of it yet on the three-point line. But like Cameron Johnson in there, Jay Crowder could get hot. Like, you know, even Shamit had a pain. good, yeah. Shamit had a good, yeah. uh, good game as well for him. Yes, he did. So I think they got enough to to really go through. Um, it's one of those deals I've heard that they're going to reevaluate in two weeks. Being a fantasy uh, GM, I fucking hate hearing that because you never really know. And then you know those hamstrings are tough deals. I mean, it's a little bit different in my opinion than a calf. A calf is still surprising. You could still be out a week or two, but those hamstrings, man, when you fucking pull it, it's that's a tough, that's a tough deal to come back from. And what grade as well. That's you know, yes. that's where they're being quiet. If it's a slight strain, you can usually, you know, be in doctor be in the doctors that we are, but you can usually be seeing what we've seen in our NBA careers with other guys, you know, two weeks you can kind of and then start start loading again. But if it's if it's a further grade, more severe, you know, four to six weeks sometimes, if not more. And then you try to, you know, as you said, you try to rush back from those. Um, I saw David Lee do that um, a championship year. You, you can you can retweak it for sure. And then you're in all sorts. Then you're just kind of running in mud for the rest of the season and you need a good off-season rehab. So I don't think it changes the trajectory of this series, I think. And I think he should be hopefully back if they go conference finals, but maybe the next series or the series after it could have an effect. Um, so we'll see that. And that'll be potentially be Dallas or Utah in the second round. And then and then you'd hope to see Golden State if Phoenix get through playing that conference finals. So we'll see um, how that all goes. Dallas, Utah. <laughs> um, you watch that today? Yeah, I did. I caught the fourth quarter. Look, I'm still somewhat disappointed in Utah. Um, I think they need oh, to sure. take, take more advantage of, of the Luca injury, but it's funny. Luca comes back and they win that game. But 
you know, something that stuck out to me is Utah's body language in the first couple of games. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but, you know, shitty timeout buying, a few of their timeouts, guys fighting, um, you know, it just doesn't look good. And, and usually you can see in a playoff series, you can tell a lot from body language and it usually doesn't happen in game one or two. It usually starts to to get in guys' heads in game three and four. Guys get frustrated. You know, their matchups aren't working. It's the same old, you know, grind out uh, kind of series where you're playing the same guys all the time. So that gets you testy. But, you know, I feel like they should be up. You know, they should, it should be 3-1 somewhat going back to Dallas to give them a chance with Luca coming back. But they've salvaged this. Um on the other hand, Dallas have been great without Luca. I think. They've battled. They've kept all the games close. Um, Jalen Brunson, I mean, he's about to get the the big bag of money. Um, fantastic player. You know, 41 points for 15 for 25 in game two, 31 and, and six in the other game. Um, I think that was game three. Uh, game one, he was a bit... Uh, a bit rougher on the shooting stats, but Donovan Mitchell is he's hitting his numbers points wise, but horrible shooting clips, bro. I mean, I, I know he needs to get, he has to have it going for them to probably, you know, advance and get through a, a playoff series. But his numbers, man, he's, he's shooting at thirty. You know, I think he's in the thirties for the series. Um, just not good enough. Um, Jordan Clarkson, who was we we both mentioned when he has good games off the bench, they win. He had a good game today off the bench, they won. The Blaine Rudy game, pro, starting again. Do you buy or sell that? I mean, I'm not – I don't think it's, you know, solely on him. You know, people are out there saying it goes it goes to a one through five switch. That doesn't doesn't help Rudy's case. But I saw a number that he's, he's on the ball with a Rudy contest. He's still their best defender on field goal percentage-wise. Now, you might argue guys get by him, this, that thing I've noticed is when they have Rudy out of the game, it's a free-for-all on layups or getting in the paint. So the game definitely changes. And Utah, have they don't have any great perimeter defenders. I mean, Royce O'Neal is probably their best perimeter defender. Conley was – he's solid, but I mean, he's, I think he's slowing down with his age. Um, one thing I liked at the end of this game is they, they went through the one, one through five switch. Luca hits the step back on Rudy. I thought that was ball game. It put him up four with 40 seconds left. And then Snyder said, we're getting it out of his hands at all costs. And a great adjustment. You have to do it. Um, what I mean by that is they went to kind of a soft um, coverage on the ball screen when Luca came off with Rudy. Rudy stayed on the ball. Guard chased over. They got the ball out of his hands at all costs. And then you live with the consequences. You'd rather die by Dinwiddie making that three at the end of the game. You live with that, right? But if Luca makes it, you're like, man, we should have got the ball out of his hand. So I think they made the right adjustment there, pro. But I'm not sure what your thoughts are. Um, I think Dal- Dallas should salvage game five and make it a series going back to Utah. With all that said and done, Utah is even the series at 2-2 as low as we've been on them. And you know how they did it, pro? They did it with a Rudy Dunk game winner from an assist from Donovan Mitchell, which is uh, exactly what we haven't heard the last – six months of the season. So it was good to see that. Obviously, the stat that we mentioned a week or two ago that Donovan averages two passes, not assists, two passes a game to Rudy. It was nice for them to, to find each other for the game. Winner Pro, what do you got? Folks, this is a, a weird series for sure. Like you said, Antich is out. You would think in the first three games, you thought, especially after still in game one, that they would be in the driver's seat. And their sense of urgency Today was good. The first three games, it just wasn't. The first game, it was there. The, the, the next two were not. Um, Donovan Mitchell, to me, I'm trying to 
sort of figure out where would I stack these three players up? Where would I stack where Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, and Damian Lillard stand in, 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 the, in the ranking of those three guys? And because who's the better of the, the three? And I'm not going to discuss that here, but like Mitchell always put up those put up points. And I watch him a lot. I like him. But my thing is, I've always wondered, is he a superstar or is he not a superstar? And this series, he is not playing like a superstar. The best player on the floor is Bogdanovich, in my opinion. I mean, he's been fantastic. Like, anytime they need a basket, they go to him. Yes, Mitchell has, has his moments where he can score. No question about it. But I think it's an issue. For Dallas, like you said, Brunson's going to get paid. You know, he's a $20 million player coming into the series. I think that he's going to come north of 25, if I had a guess. New York's going to come with it. Um, Detroit's going to come with it to put him with uh, Cunningham. Uh, Dallas is going to have to decide what they want to do. And I think I don't think they could afford to just let him go, even if it's a sign and trade, because I think they really need what he give, you know, brings them to pair him up with Luca to go both of them on and off the ball and switch that up to really change what they do offensively. Um, for Rudy, look, Rudy's been great defensively. Offensively, if I was the quote unquote big man coach in Utah the last nine years, I would I would take the train home because of the fact that in nine years, Rudy hasn't developed one thing offensively. Yes, he's a lob guy. He cuts, no doubt. He doesn't need to be Hakeem Olajuwon. But can he make a fucking jump hook? I haven't seen him make a jump hook in years. I don't, I'm sure he has. I haven't seen it. And he needs to do that. Like the free throws were into the, up to this game, he's 80% coming in um, this series. And now he goes nine for 18. They would, they would have not, they wouldn't have been in that predicament if he could have made, he wouldn't make all nine that he missed. But I mean, you can't go nine for 18, like 50%, 60% you got to be able to make 70% of your free throws. Look, like, spend a fucking summer working on that shit because it really hurts them. Like, I don't think it's his defense, in my opinion. I think it's not the inability to make free throws. You saw Dallas just try to put him on the line, put him on the line, put him on the line because he's got to make his free throws. And, yeah, coming into it, he's not, you know, 80% and all. But, you know, that's the thing about Rudy that really upsets me. He's so talented. You know, he's a big-time lob threat, awesome defender. You know, he could defend in so many different situations. But not being able to go to one post move, not one. It, it, as you know, I know the game's changing. They don't post up. But, like, there's those situations where you catch it in a short roll. They catch it in a duck in. You might get a post up on a switch. Like, you've got to be able to come to something. Yeah, and that's, yeah. Where, that's where Aiden is really good. Like, he will just seal you. Yes. No dribble. Turn and shoot the hook, and and yeah, to your point about free throw shooting is Rudy's got to have that four to five foot hook because if he takes that dribble to get to the basket, they're just going to foul. So sometimes, yeah. sometimes you got to take that that hook shot and just get it up there rather than playing into their hands. And but you know, credit to Utah, they kept him out there. They didn't they didn't take him out. They said we're going to ride with our no. guy. They kept him out there. Most coaches would take him out. Um, he made a big. He split a few of the free throws late, which were were important. But yeah, definitely makes more. It's easier on them. Doesn't come down to that last shot by by Dinwiddie. But um, I like that they stuck with him. But yeah, you got you got a point. I think that 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 small little hook for him is probably the next step for him to to expand his offensive game and become a bit more valuable. But 
it's a tough one. He's 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 that elite role playing big. So he's not an elite yeah. big where you're gonna throw it to him. No. And he, I don't think he ever will be, to be honest with you. I don't think mm-hmm. you I don't think you want him posting up, <laughs> to be honest with you. But no. the one where no. he can get a bucket is definitely roll. Ducking at the dotted line, catch it straight to your straight to your Kareem type hook, right? Work on that four or five feet, bang. If you don't have that, kick it out, pick and roll. But I think um, it is so used to him just not not getting it down there, and it does it does affect the play. But you know, Dallas Dallas had their chances too. I mean, like I said, I thought the, I thought that Luca step back three was ball game, um, but credit to Utah, they've grinded back, and it's now. A swingy series in itself. It could go either way. Um, you know, Luca's obviously going to be a little sore after tonight and hasn't played in, in, in a week odd and a sore calf. So, be interesting to see how that recovers. But, you know, I was even wondering whether they rest um, Luca for tonight's game because they were playing with house money essentially, um, but they didn't. So, give him an extra couple of days. But um, that's all good. I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think. It's favored towards Dallas with home court, but I think it still could go either way, in my opinion. So we'll see how that one goes. Anything else on that? Well, the, uh, shout out to Maxi Kleber, Reggie Bullock, and I'll tell you what, you know who's been playing really well? Josh Green. And yeah, he had we a don't big game, game three, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. Made a couple of threes. I mean, they, they throw him out there. You know, he plays 10, 11 minutes in playoff action for a young kid. He's done well. They've done, they've done a great job developing him. I mean, he, you know, he's not afraid. Uh, he's into the action. But Maxi Kleber had a huge game, game three, making those threes. Reggie Bullock had a big game today. But uh, it's a fun series. I really like the both teams. I agree with you. Dallas, like, is fun to watch, even without Doncic. Moving the ball, like, no, everybody knows what they got to do. Move the ball, drive and kick, get open threes. They play great defense. I think they I think they still have a real really good chance of making the and look if Booker's out and they advance, I'm telling you, they're yeah, they a dark a horse to get uh, I agree. They, they have a dark horse. No, that's, yep. why I, that's why I said I think the Booker doesn't affect them in this series against New Orleans, but I think down the line they need Booker back to, to get through Dallas. Dallas will be tough. Even Utah to an extent would be tough for them, I think. Um so we'll see how that goes. All right, Philly and Toronto one, we've probably got Glaringly wrong. Um, Philly up three one. I mean, I just wasn't sold on Philly. I still, still aren't. I'm not. But Joel Embiid's proven us wrong every week. It's three one currently. Um, Toronto still won today. I mean, could be two two arguably. But Joel Embiid hits a very tough shot to to, to force a game not going overtime. Um, you know, tough tough three. A really really beautiful play at the end of the game there. He's dominating this series. He's 26, 12, and 2. Siakam's the best for them for Toronto at 22, 6, and 5. Um, Toronto just no beef down there. I mean, they, they don't have a five they can wrestle with Embiid, and he's kind of doing what he wants down on that block and having a hell of a season, hell of a playoffs. Um, I think they, they should go home. They, they better go home and wrap this up because you don't want to go, you don't want to be flying again through Canada going for a game six. <laughs> and then that that, that 3 1 moniker is in, in your head. We can't, surely we don't lose this series. So I, I think they wrap it up in Philly um, and get a bit of rest for the next round. But it's been. It's been an interesting series. I mean, the first two games were, were complete blowouts for the most part. Um, but I just don't I don't think Toronto have enough horses at this point. I think they've had some injuries in the first couple of games. Um, but they've they've got their full roster now. Joel Embiid has got hurt though. He's torn a ligament in his right shooting thumb, which, you know, we'll see how that affects him long term. Reportedly he needs surgery. He's gonna hold off, obviously, because they're in the playoffs. They can tape it up and shoot it up and whatever. But that that could affect his shooting long term in the playoffs. We'll see how see how it affects things going forward. But 
I think this series should be pretty much over in a game or two, bro. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought I thought Toronto would show a little bit more, especially at Toronto. And, and you know, look, Philly snuck out of Game Three with that buzzer beater by, by Embiid. You know, it could have been easily two two, but I, I agree with you. I, I, I just don't think you have enough. Um, it'll be interesting what happens with Embiid with that with that um, with that finger, you know, um, ligament issue. Kobe had issues with all his fingers, his wrists, and things. And he said every time he hurt something on his shooting hand. He had to readjust his shooting. And he goes, thankfully, most of the times he got hurt was during the season. So he could like tweak it during the season. But to tweak it during the playoffs and have to tweak your shot is a very interesting thing because sometimes the feel of the ball is different. Sometimes your release has to be different. You got to put a little more power into it. You got to like sort of adjust. And I'm, I'm interested to see how he does the rest of the series and the rest of the playoffs in general. I don't expect Toronto to come back. Um, Scotty Bond, shout out to him, rookie of the year, I heard. So that, that's a great testament of what he's doing. Um, and that's great for him. But yeah, I don't I don't really see Toronto having enough to beat them at Philly, but you never know. Um, it, it'll be an interesting deal. Yeah, if they get that, if they get game five, but it will um definitely be interesting going back to Toronto, and make it a bit of a series. But yeah, I think this one's gonna be over pretty soon. Miami, Atlanta. Atlanta make it a series. They say the game a game doesn't a series doesn't start until someone um, wins on the road, and no one has yet. It's two one um, in favor of Miami. Miami had a chance; should have won this game. They should have won Game Three. They were you know they were up double digits at one point, but some big big shots from Bogdanovich that got them back in the game. Um, they went on a three point barrage at one point late in that game, and then got it to a point where Trey could get him over the line late in a close win. He had a big floater late. Um, can Atlanta get game four now, especially Kyle, Kyle Lowry, one of their best defenders, a guy that was integral in guarding Trey Young and has kept Trey Young to, to season low numbers. Um, he's out with a hamstring as well. So another hamstring injury, an older guy. Um, don't want to see this, but you, you'd imagine he's out for the rest of the series at best. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Butler's been really good. I mean, he's made some huge shots for him. Um, and what did he have? He had 45 points in game two on, on the way to his um, playoff career high. Hit that big, big fadeaway three on the, on the right side. I mean, he, he's made some really big shots for him. He's been really, really good for him, I think. He's played very, very well offensively. Probably more than you expect from him. You know, he's, he's, he's streaky offensively. He can have a night and then he, he can kind of disappear at times. But he's been really, really good for him offensively. I think Trey Young needs to be better defensively pro. Like, you know, it's that Tatum-Brown conversation we had last week. You don't need him to be elite and be a lockdown defender, but you need to, you need him to go from shitty to just be be consistently decent. Just just give us something. Um, he's been a turnstile for the most part defensively, and, and it's it's been embarrassing at times. I mean, Butler blew by him for dunks in that 45-point barrage. Um, but Butler for the series so far... 29, 7, and 6. Trey Young's at, at 19, 5, and 6 on, on pretty bad clips. So Trey Young's going to have to improve on the offensive end, but I think defensively they're, they're picking on him, bro. They're putting him they're putting him in almost every action they can um, in some way or another, whether he's a cross screener, whether he's a, a ball screener, whether they're bringing Bam down to the block with a, with a you know, flex or an up screen or a chin cut. Uh, they're doing everything they can to, Get Trey Young involved in the action, and, and in playoff basketball, you can't hide in the you, you know you can't hide guarding someone in the corner. You know, just teams are going to find you out, and that's what they've done. So, be interesting to see if Atlanta can get uh, 
game four and make it a series. But I, I don't think so. I think Miami will, will will still get this one. I picked it four one. Um, maybe they get get to four two, but I, I think Miami, um, even with Kyle Lowry out, um, they can move Butler to to Trey Young and still get that series, bro. Yeah, I agree with that, folks. I think that Lowry, it's going to be tough for him to come back this series. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't think he will. Um, the one good thing about Miami is they had to deal with a lot of COVID issues this year. And they had a lot of – their bench guys got a lot of time. You know, they got a lot of experience, you know, playing big minutes, starters minutes. So I really think that, like, guys like, you know, Max Strauss and – you know, Max Strowski, Vincent, Deadman got a lot of time. You know, I think those guys could really step up when they need to, especially in this series. It'll be interesting if they play Tyler Hero, if they if they continue to bring him off the bench or do they, you know, or, or do they start him? Um, that'll be interesting to me. The the Trey Young thing is interesting, you know, the defensive stuff. He he really like he has no interest in playing defense. And it's you know, it's um, it's embarrassing at times. The guy is a hell of a player. Um, but when his shot making, this is when the defense becomes an issue and people start really focusing on it when he doesn't make his shots. He's making 17% of his threes in the series. So now the focal point is going to be, yeah, he's shooting 37%, 17 from the three. Or why can't he guard? I think it, uh, some of that is sort of what Steph had to deal with when – you know, when he lost in a series or what have you, they picked on him with the defensive stuff. And I think, I'll be honest, the last couple of years, I thought Steph really started keying on his defense a little bit more. Look, you don't have to be Gary Payton for sure, but to at least up it to serviceable level, like out of a 10, if you can give him a five and a half effort instead of a two, then I think that like people will get off you a little bit, exactly. especially if you can't pick score. on you. Yeah, that's just yeah. get it to a point where they can't pick on you, <laughs> like every fucking possession. And I think you know Steph made no big strides. He got in the weight room as well. Um, mm-hmm. Trey Young's got to do that. He's got to get a bit stronger out there because they're they're big boy in him. But it's glaring. It's it's actually embarrassing at times to watch um, for how good he is offensively. In a playoff series, yeah, you got to get to a five or a six out of ten for us, or we're not we're not going anywhere, and they won't go anywhere in the future until he buys into that. He needs to take that next step, and I think you'd hope that the coaches there address that in the off season. No doubt, no, I agree, and I think he has to address it. You know, like I think if you really want to be great, look, he's going to get he'll make eight hundred million in his career, regardless of if he plays any defense or not. But I think if like truly when you when you're home at night and you're looking yourself in the mirror and you really want to be a great player, you have to really look at those weaknesses and say, you know what, like I really have to start putting in work with this because it's it's always going to be a glaring weakness. Teams are going to scout me. Teams are going to game plan for me and they're going to put me in these pick and rolls. They're going to force switches. They're going to force me to guard people and I can't guard anyone. And look, everybody in the NBA can guard. They're not stoppers. But they could play, they could make efforts, they could be good team defenders, they could push them into the help, they could push up on guys, they could show hands on drives, they could limit their following, they could contest shots by staying on the on the floor, they could play good help side defense off the nail, they could make effort, they could always do any of that. You don't have to be a stopper and have great lateral quickness, but you could always show effort and, and show some enthusiasm doing it. And I think he has to just sort of make that decision. Do you really want to be a top five point guard in the league or don't you? Look, he'll always be like in the top 10 for point guards. You know, and he's a great, he's a very good player, a great player. But again, 
this is what I was talking about with someone else tonight, like the difference between a Mitchell and a Lillard and guys like that versus killers versus guys like Doncic and Durant, like those guys are killers. And if you want to be in that class, you're going to have to step your game up on some of these weaknesses and close the gap on it. And he's a glaring weakness is his defense. And he's got to look himself in the mirror and say, I got to start doing better. And I got to, I got to make a commitment to it, at least to be better. And yeah, I don't, I don't really think the series is going to go anywhere. I think Miami will take it four two. Um, I think Atlanta will probably steal one more, but yeah, I can't really see them stealing much more than that. And I look at the fouls, like in, in game one, you know, he had one, Trey Young had one foul. So for a guy that's in all the action, you know, if, if, if they're picking on you and they're going at you, you should have more than one foul. Game two, he had three fouls. Game, game three, they win, he had four fouls. So you can kind of correlate, okay, what does that mean? But it means you're, you know, if you've got three, four, five fouls, you're trying to battle defensively. You know, you might you might be up and in, you might run through a screen, but you're battling. In a playoff game, we, we, you lose by big digits and you're in a lot of the fucking action, you can't have one foul, period. Like, I, I just don't think you're fully committed at that point, I think. And that's what we saw was a turnstile D. So you can correlate a little bit for, for a Trey Young. If he's in that three, four foul range, I think he's battling for the most part. It doesn't mean just stupid reaches, but it means, hey, I'm going to try, I'm going I'm to get up and in, I'm going to try some different things and... Um, one foul in a playoff game when you're in 80% of the action is, is not good enough. All right, Milwaukee and Chicago, currently 2-1 for the Bucks. Another hamstring for Chris Middleton. Series most likely, older guy again, big out for them. But um, they they restructured. They they brought in Portis into the starting lineup, which was interesting. And they, they absolutely punch, absolutely punch Chicago in game three. Now, Chicago bounced back, leveled the series 1-1, um, stole home court and they just gave it straight back up. It was a disgraceful effort by the Bulls, in my opinion. Inexcusable loss. I mean, to lose by 30 points at home without one of the opposing team's big three and scoring threats, it, that's inexcusable. Um, so much so that the Bulls fans thought the same. They were being booed in their in their own arena. Um, the Drew Holiday adjustment, they've put him on DeRozan. That's been huge. Huge, huge adjustment. Um, we knew it was going to happen at some point, and you know Drew's going to get the task of guarding their best player, whether it's a forward or a guard once they get going. Um, Giannis, obviously, 26, 14, and 7. One guy that stepped up for the Bulls is Nikola Vucevic. He's been pretty good for him. Um, 22, 12, and 3. You know, they're going to need that and a whole lot more. But DeRozan, you know, horrible game one. Came back and said, I'm not going to have another game like that. Played phenomenal in game two, and then he's had a horrible game three. So we'll see what he does in game four. I thought this would be a sweep series just because I I just I think the Bulls' last two months of the season was horrible. Form wasn't good. They battled to get one game. I thought they played real well in game two. Can they get game four? Maybe. Um, maybe they make an adjustment now knowing that Middleton's out. Um, and they can get that that game four and make it a series. But I still think Milwaukee win this one quite comfortably. I would like to see Chicago get game, game four and make it a series. But, I mean, they're just so up and down, man. Like, How do you go from such a great performance in game two to, to losing by 30 on your home floor with one of their stars out? Inexcusable. So that's my thoughts, Pro. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to think about like you put such a great performance together and then you just sort of be followed up with that, what they, what they put on the floor. And yes, they don't have ball, but they haven't had ball for a while. So they've dealt with that and they're still pros. They're still NBA players. And look, you know, we all know DeRozan is going to give you his, you know, Vucevic is going to give you his, 
Levine will give you his. I mean, Levine's not doing great, but he's averaging 17 and five in the series. But like, you need more from your bench. Your bench needs to like get locked in, make shots, play hard defense, but they got to make shots. That's the only way they're going to win. And like Caruso's doing his part, but there's really not a lot, a lot of, there's not really a lot else going on there. You know, Patrick Williams still getting his legs coming back from injury. He's shooting 28% from the field. Kobe White, 33%. You need to do more. We talked about it in the beginning of the show. You want to show your value? Well, get locked in for the playoffs because that's when you're going to show the world your value. Jalen Brunson just went from a 20 to possibly a $30 million player because he's stepping it up in the playoffs. Yes, his usage rate and all that stuff's you know, they're running everything through him, especially with Doncic being out. I get all that, but he stepped his game up. You got to step your game up and you can't be embarrassed like that. This is the playoffs, brother. This ain't fucking, you're not in Oklahoma City on a back-to-back in fucking February, all right? This is not bullshit basketball like most of the regular season is. This is the playoffs. This is what you get paid for. This is what people entrust you to be able to do. You, this is what you decide if you want to be a player or you're not, you know, or you want to rob money on the 1st and the 15th. And the, the Bulls aren't doing enough. If I'm, if you know, I think I, if I'm the Bulls, I just don't think they have much of a chance. I was a big Bulls fan at the beginning of the year you know, throughout the whole year, but I just don't see it happening. Now, Middleton being out, this could still change it. You know, you still you still need to have this firepower. Obviously, Giannis is playing brilliantly with 26, 14, and 7. You know, I mean, Lopez is giving a good effort as well. Holiday's playing hard. Guys like, you know, even guys like Portis is stepping up. Grayson Grace Allen. Allen's, mm. Grace and Allen steps up a little bit. So I think they're locked in. I don't really see Chicago doing much more damage. The problem is um, it's not a hamstring. Is it a knee or a hamstring with Middleton? Is it a knee? Oh, I thought it was a hamstring. Yeah, I thought Oh, was- I thought it was a knee. I, I, I forgot. I know he's out, and I know they were going to reevaluate him in 10 or 10 to 14 days. Maybe I got that mixed up. But um, they got, you know, they, they no, it's just in the playoffs, it's it's a cliche, but it's true. It's next oh, man right. up. Yeah, yeah, sprain, lift, knee. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's next man up. And who's going to be that guy? You know, who's going to be that guy? Obviously, Grayson Allen's going to be asked to do more. Portis, who did a great job in the playoffs last year, he's going to ask to, you know, to do more. Pat Connaughton's going to have to do more. You know, it's um it'll be an interesting sort of deal. And the but I think I think they'll get through pretty easily. I think it'll be four one, four two deal um in this series. Uh, but going forward. You need that ex. You need that second score. They really don't have that guy. They got they got Giannis, no doubt. Lopez and those guys do okay things, but you need that go to guy, that second guy that you could clear the fuck out when they take the best guy when they take Giannis off the ball and they're forcing it to somebody else. Are you going to be able to? Are you going to be the one that can make that play? It's hard to see in that roster who else is going to be that guy. But look, this is the fucking playoffs. It's just you got to somebody's going to have to step up. Yeah, I need that extra score. I mean, from from the Bulls' point of view, I just hope that they just make Milwaukee work for the win. You know, if it's a blowout, that'd be disappointing. I think as part of for the Bulls' growth to move forward with the roster that they have and the excitement they're building, 
they need to get this to six or seven games and make Milwaukee beat you, make them grind out the series, kind of like what Phoenix had to do against New Orleans last game. You know, if you get beat in close games and they're just better than you and they're, they're experienced, no problem. Um, there's growth there to be made. But if you just stink this up and lose the next two easily and you're out out pretty easily in the series, I think that, that, that doesn't do you too well. All right, Brooklyn and Boston, this game's going on live as we record. It's currently 75-69. In a minute left in the third for Boston – this has been a, a very, very interesting series. So <clears throat> Brooklyn had their chances in game one. Um, they ended up losing that game in a close one, real close game down to the wire. Game two, the Celts were solid. Um, game two, the Celts were, were amazing, very, very good defensively. Um, another one that I, I believe we got right was, was we spoke about Brown and Tatum being the keys to the Celtics. Now, most people would say no shit, but we spoke about it at the defensive end, not the offensive end. If they can buy mm. in, especially Tatum, who's not known as a great defender, if you can just get to a five or six out of ten, as Pro says, and make just make KD work a little bit because they're going to be they're going to be cross matched at times, um, they've got a chance. And Tatum, I think, has been very very good defensively at least the first three games. He's been very very solid deflections. He's caused turnovers. Um, he's been very very good. The reemergence of Al Horford, um, he's been very very good this series. I believe he's. You know, he's at um, 18 and 10 um, in this series. Made some big threes for him at numerous points in the game. He's shooting a very, very good clip from three pro. He's shooting 62% coming into this game, um, which is fantastic. Marcus Smart's been doing his thing. I think the Celtics, um, I mean, I think they're going to get this series, I think, bro. I think they are. I mean, Nostradamus, but um, Ah. they're up 2-0. They're up in this game. I picked them. Um, I just, you know, it comes down to Brooklyn. Just They just haven't played together enough um you know they just it's clunky it's you know yes you do have kevin durant you have the luxury of just throwing it to one of the best scorers of all time but you look at the pressure that's putting on kd this series he's averaging six turnovers a game he's shooting the ball at what is he at uh 28% from three, 32% from the field pro he's leading the series in plus minus minus 11.5 which you'd never attribute that to Kevin Durant. Um, so he just looked tired and flat in, in in game two. He's been a little bit better in this game, but I just their offense is clunky. They when all else fails, they just throw it to KD and it's like get us a bucket. So if he's not firing, they, they really struggle to score. And um, I'm liking I'm liking Boston to get out of this. Now who knows at the end of this pod, maybe maybe um, Boston lose this game and the series shifts. But um, yeah, I'm just not I'm not sold on Brooklyn, bro. Yeah, um, I expect a little bit more out of Brooklyn, especially with Dragic playing so well. Like I think he drag in his role and. But then they yank him in that game, pro. Like they, they yeah. That's why I don't. They, they, I know he needs some rest, but he was rolling. They take him out, put him back in, and then they put him in the corner, in the fourth. Like yeah, it was weird. It, it, that was a little bit strange, but they just don't have enough. I thought they did, and 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 you know what? It's funny, like. Boston and other teams in the NBA against Durant, you never attack his dribble. And he's so big and long that like sometimes he's a little loose with the ball. And I'll tell you what, Boston has done a great job with deflections and getting the ball, like, you know, stripping the ball from him. And he, and yeah, he's tired, but like, they're not moving the ball. It's ISO, 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 you know, it's him and it's him and Kyrie and, you know, Dragic gives him a little bit, but you know, I think they're a, a, one of the last least teams. I think they're one of the last in the playoffs with assists in the league. Not that I'm a big like assist guy versus making plays, 
but the balls just isn't moving enough, but they, they need Durant and Irving to outscore people because they don't really have that much left. Look, they're, they're missing, you know, they're missing Harden. They got Curry obviously back, but you're missing Harris. You're missing some firepower there for sure. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know why they're going to play, you know, Ben, but what are you going to do? Like, I guess you got to throw anything out there. I wouldn't throw him out there. He's not really good with handling pressure and stress. Now you're going to throw him in first time in a year. You're going to throw him in a playoff series. Um, I guess you could be a genius. And if it works, you know, everybody's a genius who's thought about it, but I just don't think that's the answer either right now. Um, I just don't see where they can get this. It's just, it's the same old story in this playoffs. Like they got, they punch Boston in the face. Boston comes back. They don't get really, they don't get frazzled. They just keep to the plan. They play great defense. They move the ball. Tatum's been, I don't like watching Tatum, but Tatum's been unbelievable in the series. Horford, which I thought was done when they got him, has been unbelievable. You know, double, double, shooting 62% from the three. I mean, he's been fantastic. They, they, they've been playing well. So um, I don't expect – I expect Boston to win the series. I thought Brooklyn would, but I just don't see any, like – I don't see anything else that Steve Nash can throw it at Boston to sort of – to change the way they do things. Now, Durant could have 90 tonight, and they might have a chance, but I, I think this is going to go to Boston. I think it's – I think it'll be a 4-1 uh, series. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, Boston started off the season horribly, and they've just – their form has carried on Oof. to the playoffs, and, and they can – yeah, they just made a little run here in the end of the third. So, um, yeah, down 3-0. I mean, you never, people say oh, you, can, you can never count out Brooklyn with the talent that they have. But um, you factor that in with, I mean, Kyrie fasting can't help things. You know, the guys oh, like, he's fasting? <clears throat> yeah, he's fasting. So uh, for Ramadan, I Jeez. believe. So that doesn't help things. And he's, you know, he's, he's distracted by the crowd to an extent, flipping him off. Um, All-time ah. number of flip-offs in a game I've ever seen. I love it. <laughs> by Kyrie. I love it. But I think a lot of distractions like that don't help help their chances. Um, Ben's reportedly going to be back in Game Four. It might be too little, too late. So we will. Uh, that will be interesting to see how that pans out and see how Ben goes coming back. Because now you're throwing in a guy that hasn't played with any of those guys before. And Ben is a pretty smart guy basketball wise with playing off guys. But like I've always said, does he buy into playing that five man role a la Draymond Green? I know he hates that generally, but on that team, that's going to be where his strength is. So. We'll watch that space. NBA Awards, as you mentioned, Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes barely edges out Evan Mobley. I think there was a case you could have them as co-winners. No one would argue with that, but they um, decided to go with Scotty Barnes. Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart. So one of the few guys to get that award. Um, deserve it. You know, Rudy's still up there regular season by the numbers. I think Rudy's probably fatigued people out of the award to an extent, um, but I think Marcus Smart, Mikael Bridges, those guys have had great seasons, and Marcus Smart definitely deserves it. They were the number one defensive team in the league. Quick news. Let's go through a few things that were notable. Um, did you see the DeMarcus Cousins comments, bro? I didn't. I did not. Oh, wow. I missed it. Yeah, I missed How is this? Okay, he was asked about Sacramento. I'm not sure why he was even asked about this or why it came up when he's in a damn playoff series against the Warriors. Quote, what did Sack do for me? Besides saying my name on draft day, I did more for them than they did for me. That's just being honest. Just being 100% honest. I had two owners, three GMs, seven coaches in seven years. I was there for seven years. And um, then further went on to say that um, he wishes he never worked out for them <laughs> before the draft. Oh, um, yeah. Where George Carl claps back and reposted it and said, 
what they did was paid you approximately $50 million and gave you an opportunity to play basketball for a living. So what are your thoughts on it? Look, I think he's got a point to an extent. I, I don't think it's it's worded in the best possible way. It looks like it's a, it's a me, me, me thing. I think he we've, we've both openly discussed the shit show that is in Sacramento. But at the same time, I think some of them were his doings. You know, the seven coaches in seven years, whether you like it or not, comes down to your max player and your best player. Um, doesn't necessarily come down to your GM or owner not liking him. I can guarantee you for each and every one of those changes, there was, you know, one one player was in the room with the uh, the GM and the owner, right, um, influencing that decision either way besides the Michael Malone one. Uh, so I think he's he's got some skin in the game there. He has a point, but not, not, that, not 100% that aggressive pro. What are your thoughts? Look, you know, as Tom Cruise said in the movie Cocktails, if things didn't end badly, then they wouldn't end. All these things end badly. All these relationships with teams and, and ownership they, and players, they always end badly. Um, they, they, it's always revisionist history. They always want to sort of think a certain way. Look, Sacramento is the biggest shit show in pro sports. I don't think there's another more shit show organization in pro sports from top to bottom. All right. No question about that. But there's been plenty of players that dealt with that and they dealt with it a little bit better than Cousins did. Look, Cousins was a, ta- a walking nightmare off the court, you know, with, you know, coaching, you know, being coached. He had a problem with that. He had run ins with media. He just immature for sure. He put up huge numbers, was a great player, was one of the best post players in that eight or nine year you know, sort of, I mean, like you see some of the numbers he put up, like 26, 24, 22, 28. Like he put up numbers for sure, but he was a pain in the fucking ass. Let's let's not forget that. You know, let's not forget that. And I don't like this whole seven coach thing because a lot of times they count the the person who filled in for the coach who gets fired, the interim. They had a few of those. And like, yeah, I think it's a two-way street. I think the way they handled things and the, with the players they brought in, and they just weren't good enough. And he put up all those numbers, but he was a pain in the ass to deal with for sure. And it's just, I think it was a two-way street there. I think they both were to blame to their certain extent, but Sacramento did a lot for him because he gave them a, him a platform to be one of the best players in the league, you know, at his position. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't nurture him enough where they didn't put enough talent around him when they had him in that seven or eight years sort of stretch, you know, five at least where he was really dominant. And, you know, I think the biggest problem they had with him is they let Mike Malone go. And he was the one guy that could handle DeMarcus that he sort of, you know, he sort of respected. That's the one thing, like all the other coaches, whatever, you fire him, you fire him. It's just, they didn't have many great coaches there. But like the, the Mike Malone thing, I, I didn't I, I thought that was fucked up when they got rid of him. But it's just typical player stuff. It's just revisionist history. It all I mean, folks, how many of these relationships with team the player ever really ended all that well when you had to trade the guy? You know, like Yeah, of course. That, yeah, it's just that's just sort of how it is. That's the reality of it. But look, he yeah. can say what he wants, you know. Yeah, but on the flip side, there was also stories um when young High draft picks came in that as a as their max guy he wasn't very welcoming from reports um, you know because this is my team my turf you're coming in you know there's that kind of mentality Jimmer Jim Fredette was the main one from what I heard now you might argue okay he's not an NBA player but 
as a young guy, he could definitely have helped them as a good three-point shooter, a guy can get hot. And from, you know, people have mentioned that DeMarcus absolutely destroyed the kid's confidence. Um, now, is that completely DeMarcus's fault? No, probably not. But those are the other things you hear. Like if you're the franchise guy, you have an incentive to try and make sure your teammates are comfortable, they're confident, whether you agree with the draft pick or not, right? So there was rumors around that as well, and that's not solely on the organization. So I think there's a bit of push-pull there. He has some points, probably just went a bit a bit aggressive, um, shocker for DeMarcus, and he's going to tell you what he thinks and he feels, which you don't hate. But I think the relationship went both ways. Charlotte fired their head coach, Pro. Did you see this coming? I did not. I did not. I thought Borrego did a really good job, but I, the only thing I did see Bogues, and I think you and I discussed it a couple of times, there were some run-ins with him and ball on the bench a couple of times throughout games where ball was just doing something fucked up, awful shot. And Borrego tried to coach. Look, Borrego's not one of those guys that like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I think that like he could get overrun by NBA players a little bit, right? Especially young guys. Mm. I think he's very organized, very well prepared, very smart, very good coach. But I think with guys like Ball and, and things like that, I think he struggles with that. And like Ball, he's gonna be a handful for any coach, to be honest. It just looks it like his brother. Yeah, you know, people say that like he doesn't really like basketball. He wants to do all this other stuff. His brother's really not a problem to coach. I think he's a problem to motivate sometimes. He's sort of like a little introverted and all that. It seems like his brother's a little bit of the opposite. But it like his brother's a talented kid, probably more talented than Juanzo. But I think that that I think that was a part of the problem. I, I think that in, in my opinion, I haven't I don't have any intel on it, but you could tell of their interactions on the bench, especially the last month or so of the season. And then they get blown out in the playing game. That didn't help things, you know, obviously from, from that perspective. But um yeah, that's just yeah, a strange one though. I mean yeah, hundred and thirty eight and 163 in his tenure there, mm-hmm. four years. But since the 2019-20 season, um, 10 winning improvements for the Hornets year on year. So Charlotte went 23 and 42 um, in 19-20, obviously with the, the COVID stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry, from when he took over. And then 33 and 39 in 2021, and then 43 and 39 this season. So he's improved year on year. So... I mean, Charlotte has missed the playoffs for the last six seasons and they were slowly trending up. Maybe the organization thought not quick enough, but this does smell like star player has said, you know what, go go a different direction because he has improved, you know, on paper. Um, so I think you know, to your point, I think the ball relationship, you know, Charlotte are heavily worried about ball leaving to LA. They, they know that that's, you know, down the line, who know, you know, in two or three, four years, they know that he wants to be in Cali. He's a Cali guy. Ball family, everyone knows about all that. So Charlotte's probably trying to appease him as much as possible. And if the kid said, "I'm not a fan of his," easy decision to make. Um, whether you, whether you agree with that or not, that's how how things work. Um, but yeah, just an interesting one. There was a rumor popped up um, that the Lakers would not do a Gordon Haywood for Russell Westbrook. Um, Gordon Haywood, of course, has been injured. Um, Lakers reportedly won't do it for that reasons. I would, I'll do it. Um, I would do that based on. Numerous factors. Now, yes, you've got the risk of Haywood being injured, but Gordon Haywood is not um, going to affect your locker room in any way. Um, he's not going to not going to be that guy that Russ is, which reportedly what they've said is he's, he was the main reason why, which we don't believe. But Russ is a pretty hard-nosed guy on and off the court. I'll would, I would just do it for that reason. If, if you can go like-for-like like salary-wise, um, 
it's better than John Wall. It's better than, in my opinion, um, and you just take the risk. You know, with injuries, you hopefully he gets healthy. But when he's healthy, he's a hell of a player for him and a perfect complementary player for what they need on that roster. Uh, I think if he's gives you 50, 60 games, they've got a playoff chance. So an interesting one that popped up. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, um, the Westbrook thing is interesting. Um, I don't think that they're going to make – I agree. I don't think they would make that deal. Uh, I think the injury deal um, – I'm not sure on Hayward's contract. I, I, I thought I had it in front of me. I don't. But, I mean, I think that the Lakers are going to make that deal with Indiana. I think they're going to bring Buddy Hield. They had a couple of guys that are going to throw in that deal. Oh, I think Brogdon as well. So I think that there's like a Brogdon, um, like Westbrook and two picks for Brogdon and Hield. I think that that would be a better trade for LA than getting Haywood. I think that you're rearranging the deck chairs of the Titanic if you're trading Westbrook for Haywood. But I think if, you know, look, Indiana wants to go forward with cutting salary down the line. They want more cap room. Uh, they could stretch out Westbrook on, on getting him. I think that would probably be a better deal. Um, I, I do believe that, you know, that Charlotte would probably do it for ticket sales purposes. You know, getting a guy like Westbrook, he, he has less of an injury history, obviously. Um, Next the ball, I, I think. What's up? You take the ball, take take the the rock out of his, out of uh, Ball's hands, though, right? Yeah, it would, and that's why. Again, I, I you know that that would be a tough one for Charlotte as well, but I could see them doing it if they're frustrated with Haywood's injuries. And look, they they only have to deal with Westbrook, you know, for a year. And let's be honest, and. and I don't think the one thing for the Lakers, they don't have to deal any picks probably in that deal. They probably just go player for player. So if they go to Indiana, it'll be multiple picks. But I think they're going to deal them to Indiana if, they, if they're going to deal them at all. Um, I don't think that that deal is going to happen with Charlotte. But I did hear about it. Um, I did read about it. Uh, I didn't think much of it. But um, it's it's like one of those things that both like both the guys have been frustrated and watched for that team. Haywood just because of injury, Westbrook because of fit. Um well, I'd love, you know, so, like, love to see a Russell Westbrook, Rick Carlisle marriage. It'll be fantastic. Oh, no, that marriage will last three seconds. They'll cut, they'll wave <laughs> him, they'll wave him in two seconds from getting him. So uh, they just want to get off, they want to get off bridges and they want, I mean, they want to get off um, Brogdon and they mm-hmm. want to get off field, mm-hmm. you know, money wise and, and just sort of continue to retool that roster. And clean their cap up. Our right, last one in the news Mark Jackson interviewing for the Sacramento Kings head, jo- head uh, coaching position. I hope the organization has a chat to Harrison Barnes. <laughs> I'll just I'll leave that I'll leave that one there. But uh, yeah, interesting. I know Vivek, the owner there, likes to be the Warriors light, and this is maybe his his further foray into trying to be the Warriors. Um, but yeah, interesting one that popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, Jackson's been sort of mentioned in a couple of jobs, Lakers being one and, and Sack being two. Um, I, I did hear like Mike Brown. I heard D'Antoni. I heard Steve Clifford. Um, if I'm them hiring Steve Clifford, it's not even close. Um, I'm not doing Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson's, they're, they're just, yeah, it's just, I'm not a Mark Jackson fan. I, I, I don't, you know, it was such a shit show when he was in, in, in Golden State and, I don't know why they would. There's so many candidates of guys who can coach. They need a strong-willed coach that knows what they're doing and won't get steamrolled. And I, you know, Mark Jackson might be that guy of not getting steamrolled, but like I, I just don't think he's a very good coach. I don't. I think he's 
Like I think he, players sometimes can buy into him outside looking in. I don't know anything about that. I could be wrong, but I, I don't. I think they need a strong-willed coach that's not going to get railroaded. And I think that Steve Clifford has shown that he's a hell of a coach, organized, knows what he's doing, and gets players respect. And I think they need a guy like that. Yes, I would have talked to Harrison Barnes. I'm sure he would have done that. I mean, you know, with all the all the stuff like alienating ownership and you know, bringing in witch doctors and stuff like that to, you know, sort of cast spells on guys. I'm, I'm just not a fan of that situation. So I'd probably pass, but that's just me. Yeah. It'd just be interesting. Um, for those not familiar, Harrison Barnes played for Mark Jackson, um, you know, had him come off the bench. So it was pretty icy at times, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with uh, that. I, I highly doubt that goes ahead. Maybe it's just an interview to get a few candidates through there, but we will we will see. All right, the NBL is hitting up. We have our final four set. All right, Pro, your jack jumpers have snagged the fourth spot and made the NBL top four. So they've made the finals. I'll be playing Melbourne United in the first round. Inaugural team, first season, Scott Roth, everything all in one. And they've made the finals, Pro. How do you feel? I feel fantastic. I I may have watched eight seconds of NBL action this year, but Scott Roth is my guy. All right. He is the Jack jumpers. And, and I'm telling you, he will scare teams into submission. He's my, obviously I want Sydney to win because of you, but if there's a one B in here, it's the fucking Jack jumpers. Fair enough. They've made it. He's done a fantastic job. So congratulations to the Jack jumpers. Hell of a season to do it in your first year. A relatively low spending budget as well, I believe, to to grind that out and get there is fantastic. And it also goes to tell about a Perth Wildcats implosion. They just absolutely shut the bed with their uh their homestand, which usually is the time of year when they when they go on a massive run and take over first spot. And it's their first playoff series missed in twenty plus years. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but um they haven't missed the finals in a long, long time. So uh, congratulations once again. And I'll go through the rest of the NBL now. We have uh, Sydney and Illawarra. They flip-flop spots. It's put Sydney to third, Illawarra to second, which clinches home court advantage for the Illawarra Hawks. Um, that series will kick off on Friday uh, in Illawarra um, every second day from there. So that'll be a real interesting series. Um Illawarra lead the season series 3-1. Um, a few of those games, there were some, some injuries for the Kings, which is no excuse, but um, weren't full squads at the start of the year. Game three was an absolute barn burner. Um, it was absolutely sensational. Um, back and forth, you know, had basically everything you wanted. 8-0 um, run here, 4-0 run back, you know, lead swings, went to overtime, and um, Sydney had that one, and then... You know, the game game today, obviously, um, Sydney had a chance to win it. Ian Clark actually stepped on um, the sideline as he went to shoot a three that actually went in, uh, would have counted, but he stepped out of bounds first. So that didn't count. Sydney lose, makes them lose home court advantage for the first round. Not the end of the world. The uh, Sydney Kings uh, a little banged up, um, you know, a few guys out. Um, last week and this week. So I think the extra couple of days of rest aren't the worst thing in the world, even though we do lose home court, because if, if we would have stayed second, Sydney Kings would have stayed second, the, the series would have kicked off on Wednesday instead of Friday. So we've had a brutal 20-odd uh, days here. We've played a lot of games in a short amount of time, so we'll take the rest when we can get it. But um, I'm looking forward to this series just as a fan. Um, 
put the ownership aside, I think this series is going to be very entertaining. One of the greatest coaches in NBL history and Brian Gorgian, um, a fresh-faced Chase Buford, um, white line fever guy, real passionate. So really looking forward to, to watching this series. I'm going to go down, watch those games live down in uh, Illawarra. Um, can't wait to hear Zorba, uh, the Greek techno version again, um, played on repeat and then back to Sydney for game two. And hopefully that's all it takes for us. Um, but I think this this has a potential to go through games and be a close series. So looking forward to that one. And, and as we spoke about earlier with Tasmania clinching the fourth spot, they will face Melbourne United with game one on Thursday. They're Thursday, Saturday, and if needed, Monday. Um, and once again, the Sydney Kings Illawarra is Friday, Sunday, and if needed, Tuesday. So looking forward to all that. Um, I, th- look, I think the Melbourne United um, series will be will be a grind. I think Tasmania play a style that's um, yeah, hard-nosed style. They play real hard. I think Melbourne United will match that intensity because it is a, a final series. But you have to remember, Melbourne United... Um, Let's just put it out there. They tanked. They tanked against um, the very Tasmania Jack Jumpers over the weekend. Um, Dean Vickerman was in a press conference leading into that game saying he's not going to tank. He's above that. He's, he doesn't do that. And then Delhi had a dentist appointment. Barlow had concussion. Um, their starters played, you know, random minutes. Uh, they, they didn't look like they wanted to win that game at all. And credit to the Jack Jumpers. They played a hell of a game, made some tough shots, but it, it was a 20-point blowout. Um, so it was, it was quite obvious to anyone with half a brain that the – um, Melbourne United tanked, which then obviously put pressure um, back on Perth. It still left the fate into the Wildcats' hands. So all you Wildcats fans are a bit cranky at Melbourne United for tanking. Fate was left in your hands and you had to knock out a – you had to beat a team at home that was not even in the finals race and you couldn't do that. The Southeast Melbourne, Phoenix um, coming out on top and um, a gut-wrenching loss for the Perth Wildcats. So we can stop hearing about that that streak. Congratulations for that streak. It was one of the best, you know, we've seen in, in sporting history. But uh, you're at zero now, just like the rest of us. So um, enjoy that. Enjoy building that back up. And who knows, maybe this is the Craig Hutchison curse that starts. Um, we, we don't get to the finals with Hutchie at the helm. So I'll, uh, I'll have to send him a, a box of Krispy Kremes for my condolences. Um, but uh it is, it is going to be an exciting top four here in the NBL, so I'm looking forward to it. But as I said earlier, United did tank to get uh, Tasmania in that four spot. Uh, Tasmania could look at that as a bit of motivation, um, something that, um, you know, whenever you pick a team, we'd rather play that team out of that team. Scott Roth can definitely use that on a, on a notice board in their practice facility and tell them about it every single day. These guys wanted to play you because they didn't think you were as good as Perth. Um, so it will be an interesting series. I, look, I think it goes – it has a potential to go three. Um, I think down in Tassie they could grind it out. But look, Melbourne United I think are too deep. Um, they have a very, very well-balanced roster, uh, very, very good defensively. So I can't see them losing this series. But I also didn't see Tasmania making the top four. And after falling my sword, I picked Tasmania at the bottom of the uh, ladder in the preseason. So I got one wrong there. Um, so much respect to them and what Scott Roth has done. I, I didn't think they had a, a deep roster. I thought they were talented six, seven. And then beyond that, I thought they had some guys that were kind of towards the end of their careers or hadn't played a lot of NBL minutes. And, and congratulations to them. They've, they've proven me wrong and probably the whole league wrong. They've, they've, they've come together really well. And to make the finals once again in your, in your first season um, with a whole fresh start, this isn't a license that's been revamped or moved. This is a fresh start NBL team. Um, uh, to make it is sensational. So congratulations to them. Looking forward to the finals. And just to round this all out, I guess we should probably go over 
other teams' performances um, for the season and and give a little bit of uh, feedback. So obviously Melbourne first, Illawarra second, Sydney third, um, Tasmania is in fourth. Obviously that cuts it out. So you've got Perth in fifth. Um, you, you have to say that that is a a very underwhelming season for the Perth Wildcats, as we said earlier. Um, you know, 35 years. I said 20 plus earlier. I looked it up. 35 straight years in the in the NBL finals. Now, albeit one of those years was, I believe, when the NBL for some reason went to a top six and they made it in fifth or sixth. So, by the rules, they made it, but um, tough. Uh, they they look like they were in the driver's seat. I mean, they Perth notoriously starting those a lot of road games in the first half of their season every year, and especially with COVID. And they have a, a massive home push, usually because of the Hotman Cup and tennis and their arena. They usually have a massive home push at the start of the year, um, second half of the season, where they just go on a roll and then they, they're in sync for the finals. Um, that's at least how it's been for the last five, ten years. But they got home and they just laid an egg. They, they couldn't win games. Um, they couldn't win games. And that, look, they were probably lucky to even still be in the mix. I mean, Tasmania, uh, sorry, New Zealand down in, um, in Bendigo, where it took Bryce to hit a, a four point play to get him over the line late in that game. They probably should have lost that one. And they just they just looked out of sync. Um, they're two of probably the most talented um, imports that you're going to have in the NBL, but they just couldn't get it done with with role players. I mean, there were some talks about getting a third import in there that didn't eventuate with everything going on from from uh, the Russia Ukraine debacle that you know they ended up getting a guy over that uh, in John Brown that that couldn't qualify because he hadn't played enough games. They brought Frazier back in. There had to be a lot of distractions with that rookie head coach doesn't really know the league. He had to adjust. Um, I will probably bet that the, there's a lot of Perth Wildcat fans that will be putting their hand up to volunteer to get the head coach out of there and drive him to the airport, but he might be back next season. And, and this is the same coach that last week I've heard was tongue-in-cheek. I didn't see the actual audio clip, but the quote was something along the lines of, you know, do you think you'll be here next year? And pretty much said, well, if I'm not, they got to pay me. So if they want to get rid of me, they owe me a year's salary, so I'm not too worried about it, which did not go too well with the, the Red Army, the Red Army over there in Perth. They didn't take that too lightly. So a bit of turmoil for Perth for once, and um, they haven't had had this kind of turmoil to deal with um, in, in a number of years. So um, I don't think they know how to handle it uh, too well out there um, in, on, on the West Coast because they're, they're not akin to losing. So congratulations on the last 35 years, but... Uh, no finals and rebuild is they're, they're words you don't really associate with the Perth Wildcats. So welcome to the club of, of, of the other nine odd NBL teams and what they go through every now and then. So enjoy that journey. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix in sixth um, has to have to say a very disappointing season for them. They had championship aspirations. They um, they were very very close to a grand final series last season, going down to to Melbourne United in that semi final series. Arguably had control of. Game three, um, and probably should have, you know, wrapped that series up. But kudos to Melbourne, championship merit, got them over the line. And you, you fast forward a year later, the, the, the roster arguably got deeper with with Joe Chi, and they just couldn't get it done. They um, they could not get it done, and they they, they fought a they fought a sixth and and have a somewhat uh, disappointing season. Um, what's interesting is they. Rumours that their head coach will be re-upped and re-signed. Uh, Mitch Creek has come out on record saying that he's the only coach he'd want to play for. So I anticipate he's going to get re-signed. But um, a 
questionable result this season to, to re-sign your head coach this quickly. So they must like what they're seeing and just put it down to dumb dumb luck that they didn't make it this season and a, and a few bad bounces. But um, for the most part, a few injuries, um, but every team goes through that. They, I, th- I thought they were pretty disappointing. I thought they'd be higher. The Adelaide 36ers. So South East Melbourne finished the season, by the way, at 15 and 13. Perth finished at 16 and 12 um, to miss out. Adelaide in... Um, in seventh spot, I think they were disappointing. Not for me. I had them pegged around there. I think I can't remember where I had them. Six, seven, eight. Um, didn't have them making the finals. A lot of people had them in the top four. Uh, they, a, they built a very deep roster. The out of Isaac Humphreys early obviously didn't help the situation. But um, ten and eighteen, they're a better team than that. I think CJ Bruton has. Uh, I actually ran into him the other day and said, "Mate, you're lucky you shave your head because we probably can't see your coaching grey hairs that you've you've, you've earned this season." Um, but they had, they had roster changes. They they almost got an import, and they didn't. And the Casper Ware rumor, um, you know, they, they just had a disappointing year. And for how talented their roster is, and from what I believe is most likely over the cap, um, disappointing for them. Brisbane in a rebuild, um, disappointing year for them, yes. But I don't think they were built on paper to win um, at this point. That they were ten and eighteen as well, uh, finishing just below Adelaide there in eighth. Um, I mean, it's always disappointing when you're below 500, but I don't think they can be too disappointed. Their roster was not not very well built to be a top four team, in my opinion. I think um, previous years they had much better rosters that didn't go the distance, but this one wasn't wasn't as good. I think they're in a rebuild there in Brisbane and um, a transition in ownership still still waiting on that announcement with with everything that happens there. So we'll wait and see how that goes and and becomes official. Um, Cairns, ninth or second last, nine and 19. Same thing, um, not a championship built roster, not a top four built roster. Adam Ford, I think, has done a decent job there. It's a culture reset for them. Um, you know, I just don't think that they were deep enough or talented enough to compete on a nightly basis. They played hard in, in spurts. Um, I just don't think they had the ponies to get it done. Um, Look to have a good off season of a lot of hard work with Adam Ford. He likes to to run guys, um, you know, make them work and earn their money um, on, the, on the training floor. So he'll continue to do that. And I'll, I'll look to them to bounce back a little bit if they can keep their roster together and just get another year under their under their belt. New Zealand dead last, 5-23. and 23. You got a feel for them. Um, they've been on the road for two straight years. For those not familiar with the NBL, they are, you know, obviously based in New Zealand for the most part. But with COVID, they've had to... Um, had to base themselves down in Australia. The NBA has done them no favours by bouncing them around to different home venues. They were in Tasmania for a portion of it, then, then playing some home games down in Bendigo. Um, I would have liked to have seen them up north somewhere in Queensland, the Gold Coast, where at least their mental health would have been better looked after in a nice warm climate near the beach. But who am I to judge? But they, they had a horror year again. Um, they, they haven't had much success the last couple of seasons. And this was a storied franchise um, in the NBL for, for a number of years. Um, won multiple championships um, you know, only 10-odd years ago. So they've, uh, they're down the bottom and just cannot seem to bounce up. It would be interesting to see... Dan Shamir, the head coach there, is re up for another season. They have some veterans. They have a lot of free agents on the table as well. So it will be interesting to see where they end up. All right, let's go through some – we're going to go through the awards breakdown. So if you feel like you want to ask a question or chime in, you can. But for the most part, a lot of this will be above your head because it's NBL. 
Um, Just they've got their final three candidates for all the categories. The MVP final three candidates, uh, Bryce Cotton, Janet Adams, and Luala Chul from Melbourne United. So Melbourne United, Sydney Kings, and Perth Wildcats. Um, I'm going to try my best not to be a, a crony and pick my own guys. I'm going to try to be as honest as I can. I'm going to give you my pick, and I'm going to give you who I think they will pick based on how I know voting goes. Uh, Luala Chul has had a fantastic first half of the season. I think he's slowed down a little bit since then. So I think I put a line through him. I think he's had a great year, don't get me wrong, but I put a line through him. Leaves it to Cotton and Adams. I think Adams, Jalen Adams from the Sydney Kings deserves it. Um, Cotton is an absolute gun, especially offensively, but the Cats record hurt his case that they just haven't been as good this season. There's been a lot of pressure on him. He hasn't played as well as he has the past two seasons because, uh, I don't know, he seems a little bit more tired, a little bit more pressure on him, different offensive sets, new coach. Adams, for me, is a no-brainer. I think fantastic. He's the best two-way player in the league. He's he's very, very good defensively. Um, That's the difference between him and Cotton for me this season. Cotton's great offensively, but, you know, they try to hide him as much as they can defensively. Doesn't really bring much on that end, whereas Jalen Adams is is, is a lead at both ends. So, um, and the defensive end doesn't show up on the stat sheet. You know, he's a high-scoring guard who plays D, so I think they'll, I think he deserves it, and I think they'll give it to him. I think he'll win that one. So... Coach of the year, Chase Buford, Dean Vickerman, or Scott Roth. Look, I think all of them have been great. Melbourne United have been clear number one for the whole season. Chase Buford has had a hell of a, a run the last two-thirds of the season with the win streak. But I'm going with Scott Roth. Um, I, th- I think I think he's, he's, he's done the job. As much as I'd love to, to have an owner bias and I think Chase should be up there, I've got to go with Scott Roth. I didn't pick Tasmania to be any good at all. Um, I didn't think their roster was deep enough. I think they were all over the place. One of the lowest spending teams in the league, and he has led them finally. So I can't I can't go against um, giving it to Scott Roth, and I think they will give it to Scott Roth because um, it's a great story. I think they, um, you know, first season uh, building a new a new legacy down there in Tasmania, a new arena, um, and they've done a, a successful job in their first season. So, Scott Roth, congratulations from Bogut and probably the NBL. Most improved player. I know this is a strange one, Pro. They had, they had Joe, Joe Lawala-Chul is in the most improved player pool, and he's also was in the MVP pool. So, had a great year, but kind of strange. You don't often see that. It's the Jar Moran argument, right? Um, this is a tough one. They've got Joe Lawala-Chul, Keanu Pinder, and Yanni Wetzel. I think Yanni Wetzel was a fringe star last season, so I, I don't think you can really go with um, with him. He, he went 11-6 and six last season, a 17-8 and eight this season, so there's a definite improvement, but he was still a pretty respected signing last season. Keanu Pinder, 4.8 points and 4.2 rebounds, 42% from the field last season with Adelaide. This season, he's up to 10.8, 7.5, and 54%, so he's... He was my first kind of pick until I really looked at the numbers. Joe Luarchul is probably up there, you know, nine and five um, last season. You know, sixteen and nine odd for Chul this season. I'll probably go with Joe Luarchul just because his team's number one. Um, my concern with Keanu Pinder and Yanni Wetzel is their teams were horrible win loss wise. So I think it's you know we all know it's much easier to play on a shitty team and put up numbers. Doesn't disrespect what they've done but I think their numbers might be a little bit inflated. So I'm going to go with Joe Luala-Chul based on that. I think um, he's a big reason why they're clear number one. 
he was probably this this good the last couple of seasons, maybe last season, but was stuck behind a guy named Jock Landale. So the minutes weren't there, but now he's got his opportunity. He's taken it. I give it to Joe Lawler-Chul. I think the league does as well. Sixth man of the year, Clint Steindl is a candidate. He's at 9.3 points a game. Shea Ely is 8-4, but he's mainly there for his defense. And Z- Xavier, Xavier Rathen-Mays is 10-4-4 off the bench for Wollongong. I think it goes to... Rathen Mays um, at 10-4-4. Four, four. He's a big scoring boost for them when, when their offense dries up. Jordan Clarkson-like for the Wollongong Hawks or the Illawarra Hawks. Um, so I believe he will get it. And I think the league will give it to him. Defensive player of the year, Shay Ely, Xavier Cooks for the Sydney Kings and Antonius Cleveland from the Illawarra Hawks. Um, this is a tough one. I think all three could get this. I think this is the closest race. Um, Cooks does so much for my Sydney Kings. He's, he's very, very good defensively. You know, just solid and pick and roll, very good defensive rebounder, um, does all the right things for us. So I think he's definitely a candidate. Cleveland's been big for the Hawks. His energy is a big dictator of how they play, especially at the defensive end. And Shea Ely is just a pit bull. Um, I think I'd love to pick Cooks, um, but I think Shea Ely might get this. His, his impact is huge. He's a nightmare pro. He picks up opposing, generally import guards and high scoring guards, picks them up full court and just creates absolute havoc, turns them three or four times, picks their pocket once or twice a game. He's on loose balls. He's annoying. He's in he's in guys and he's he's not a guy that talks shit. He's one of those annoying guys. He's not going to really say much. He just does his job. And I think a lot of people around the league respect the way he goes about it. I've definitely noticed how well he's playing. They're number one in the league. You know, number one on the ladder, obviously, they've got the one seed. He's a big part of it. And then, yeah, so I think I think Ely's going to get it. Um, by my pick, I think the league is going to give it to him. That's that. You got Rookie of the Year. You got Bull Coel. Um, you got Travers from Perth Wildcats Pro. He's interesting. So he's been a development player the last two years, which means he's on the roster, but he wasn't a rostered player, a full rostered player. He was a development player. So every player can have a development player. I think it's under 23 or 4. You got to have one on your roster. It's basically an upcoming star that you develop. He started for them in the grand final last season because they had, um, had injuries. But now that he's a contracted player this year, he's still eligible for the rookie of the year. So it's an interesting tweak in the rules. I don't think he's a rookie because he's he's got his feet wet the last couple of seasons. But as per this rule, he is. So I think I think the league will give it to him based on that. Um, but my pick, um, who else they have? Usmani Deng. Deng, um, solid prospect moving forward. He's probably going to be you know fringe fringe draft pick down the line. He's the other candidate, and then um, I think Barkul is. My pick, he broke the record for the most threes from a rookie in the NBL, was a relative unknown playing in the minor league in the NBL one, um, had a fantastic year. So I would pick him, but I think the league will pick Travers, um, even though is he technically a rookie, the a Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell spat back in the day comes to mind. Um, so that's an interesting one. I've got some bogey awards pro um, that I made up myself. NBL commentator of the year, I am going with Leonard Copeland. He's himself, he brings humor, doesn't fence sit, Calls it as he sees it. Um, has some hilarious one-liners. Um, this is the first year they've had him on a regular basis, and I think he has been fantastic. A breath of fresh air there. Um, I know a lot of people have really enjoyed kind of his his back and forth. Um, he played with Andrew Gaze. He was his main import back in the day, and they have a really good relationship. So they, you know, he gets on Gaze a bit for sitting on the fence. Just really fun mm. to listen to. I think he's 
the commentator of the year, in my opinion, NBL journalist of the year. I'm going to go just on sheer amount of work done to promote and get the NBL out there. I think Matt Logue um, from the Daily Telegraph has done a very good job. Um, podcast, articles, social media. I think he puts a lot out there for the league. Uh, many others out there are obviously doing a great job as well, but I've just noticed he's, he's put a lot of work in this season and, and lifted from the past couple of seasons. So the more people we can have promoting our great game, the better. Must keeps pro. So Hungry Jack's promotion pro. Hungry Jack's is like the Burger King. Um, just mm-hmm. called Hungry Jack's in Australia. I've, I think I've told you about this before. They have a promotion that if a player misses two free throws in a yeah. row, Everyone in the arena and everyone watching on TV gets a promo code and they can get a free cheeseburger, I believe, or a free Whopper. Um, I think it's a great promo because it gets the crowd involved on free throws. So that's a must-keep. Um, not good for you, Pro, and the diet, but it's a must-keep. Oh, no. It's a must-keep, the NBL. I love it. Big Pro. Mm-hmm. Keep that up. Fantastic job. Get rid of, for me, is courtside jesters and nonstop music at certain arenas in, in the NBL, Pro. So there's some arenas that literally play you know, house music mix 2017 album, press play, and I swear the DJ leaves the arena, goes has a cigarette, eats, eats lunch, and then comes back and the game's over because the music does not stop the whole game, man. And you're just like, what? am I at a nightclub or a basketball game? And there's the courtside jesters at a few arenas where there's a guy on a microphone running around the court yelling and screaming the whole game. Uh, get rid of them. Not good for the game. Sucks on TV. Look for a TV product. I, I think it just doesn't look good. And, and when you you know you gotta, almost got to watch the game with the sound down because all, all you hear is a guy yelling in the background. But each to their own. That's the NBL rap pro. So another season in the books and it's finals time. So hopefully uh, polish a ring towards the end of this season. Pro useful or useless? I want to play a little game with you, pro. I've got some some quick hitters for you. Okay, great. Ahead. How do you think this is going to go? Let's go. All right. So, most games in a row with a turnover, pro, in NBA history, who do you think that would be? Currently playing? I think it's all time, yeah. He's currently playing, yes. Mm, Westbrook. Bang! Nice. 338 straight games from 2016 to 2020 uh, with a turnover. Now, pro. Most games in a row without a turnover. Mm. You'll never get this if you do. Jeez. No. Um, I guess I'll give you a tip. I'll give you a, I'll give you a tip. I'll give you a tip. Who'd you say? Trey Jones. No. It's a feet set shooter. Shit. Doesn't really narrow it down that much, but oh, it does. Um, like a feet set shooter that just that, that was his role. He was never a guy that put it on the floor. He was never a guy that was running pick and rolls or posting up. He was a straight feet set shooter. Jason Capano. <laughs> Good pick, but no. Steve Novak. 45 games in a row without a turnover um, in 2010-11 season. So just a testament to knowing your role, pro. Catch, shoot, don't turn that bitch over. No doubt. All right, next one. Most games in a row with a block shot. Um, Mark Eaton. No, Patrick Ewing, 154 straight games with a block shot from 88 to 90. Um, stat Muse is definitely earning its money today. Not Stat Muse. We'll give these people a shout out. Oh, wow. Days. Not Stat Muse. Now, pro, most games in a row without a block. You got to get this one. Uh, let me see. JJ Barea. Bang. 
Nice. I didn't even re- I didn't even read the run sheet. It's not on the run nice. sheet, so you can't cheat. I've got this on my phone, so you can't cheat. Three hundred and thirty-three straight games, bro, from two thousand and ten to two thousand and fifteen. The little guy. That's a lot of no block shots, but uh, that is great. All right, most games in a row with a point, at least a point. Uh, LeBron James. Good one. 1,633, LeBron James. Uh, most games in a row without a point where they've played minutes. You'll never get this one. I don't even know who this guy is. Uh, wh- when did he play? 95-96. Give me, an, give me initials. 95-96, and this was a CJ. And 95-96, he might have wanted – might have been on the championship team that year, actually. CJ. 95, 96. Yeah, they won it that year. Oh, Charles, Charles, Charles Jenkins? Charles Jones. Charles Jenkins played with oh. me in Golden State. Yeah, yeah, Charles, yeah, yeah. Charles Jones. I, haven't, I don't know much about him, but 17 straight games much about him. without a point. Nice. All right, most games in a row with at least one assist. Uh, LeBron James? No, John Stockton. Oh, should have okay. got that one. 90, 85 to 03. <laughs> he went 18 years with, with least an assist. 1,604 games. Uh, most games in a row without an assist from 94 to 97. Uh, Yinkadare. <laughs> what? How'd you get that? Uh, that that's, been, that's been a, uh, said, a trivia question for years. Oh, yeah. 77 straight games. games without an assist. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That's tough. All right. Most games in a row with a rebound. Uh, Bill Russell. No, Carl Malone. 1,629 ah. straight games from 85 to 03. Same time as John Stockton was there. Nice. Most games in a row without a rebound. I'll give you a clue, bro. He was a former teammate of mine. 21 straight games without a rebound. 21 straight games without a rebound. Um, Steph Curry. No, Reese Gaines. Reese Gaines. I remember Reese. I worked six. Yeah. That's hard to do. Louisville. That's really yeah. hard. To, that's like hard to do. If, if you try to do that, you couldn't do that because <laughs> there's got to be one on a free throw or one that just goes long, right? Um, no doubt. But I assume not. Uh, what else do we have here? All right. Most games in a row with a steal. 85-86. 85-86. I was going to say John Stockton. Um, most games with a steal. Mm-hmm. In a row. Um, Alvin Robertson. Geez, good one. 108. Yeah, nice. 108 straight. San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, he was a big-time steal guy. He was a big-time steal guy. Yep. Most games in a row without a steal. J.J. Barea. Without a steal? No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> without a steal. Yekidare. No, Steve Novak again. Novak, nice. 61 straight games from 2014 to 2016. So a little bit of interesting trivia there. That is from NBA Debates 1 on Instagram. So give them a shout out. I like that. It was pretty cool. Um, Two more for you in the useful or useless that we usually have. Pro Chris Paul has now lost 14 straight playoff games officiated by Scott Foster. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Useful, no, that's useful. It is useful. That's fucking useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14, come on. There's got to be something there for Scott sure. Scott Foster is our guy whenever Chris Paul plays. It's fantastic. Scott Foster is the NBA version of the second gunman on the grassy knoll who, who shot JFK for sure. Mm. Australian fans have no idea what that is, but no. I have to no, Google it. All right. 
They're under, yeah. Last one. The Jazz have allowed, this is the first three games of the series, the Jazz have allowed 121 three-point attempts versus the Mavs in the first three games. 101 have been, 109 have been open and more than half, 62, have been wide open. Useful, useless. Useful for sure. Shit, they're not fucking guarded. That's bad. And that's yeah. the point of the Rudy thing. It's like, is that all Rudy's fault? Is that because of the rotations because Rudy's on the floor? Like, what, what, what's the deal there? But uh, nah. that is not good. You, you give up. You give up. Even if you give up 50% of the threes wide open, that's that's even that's even worse. Like, you know, because they classify open as being probably no contest. Um, so someone's half there, but the wide open ones, 62 out of 121, that's alarming. You, you got some issues there that you need to clean up. I'd be interested to see what it was in this in this last game where they just won. But um, that is my useful or useless. And just quickly, your uh, your Boston Celtics pro, 109-103 final. Wow. Yep. Sweet. Final. Um, just weep, just weep Ben Simmons fucking hole. I mean, <laughs> like seriously. He might what's change the series, do? bro. He might change it. And he might change it from bad to worse. Just fucking just. <laughs> what if he comes back deal. and has like the best four games of his life? He'll sell. He'll, he can re, well, that, he can resalvage his his last eighteen months, bro. He can resalvage it right now. You know. Yeah, come on. It's like me eating fucking broccoli tonight. I mean, what's fucking what fucking difference is that going to make? Yeah. But you're right. You're right. Because I'm I'm the I'm the worst of all time in picking anything in the playoffs. So if I say he's going to be bad, he's going to be fucking Magic Johnson. So who knows? House money. He's playing with house money now. No, no, house real, money. no real pressure. You can you can only come in and get swept, just like the past three games. Come in and win a game. Ben Simmons had an effect, but um, Jason Tatum, thirty nine points. Finished the game off really well. Jalen Brown hit some big shots for him late. I've been just watching it in the background. Um, Kevin Durant, you know, 6'4", 11. Um, eight rebounds, eight assists. Wasn't as aggressive offensively. Five turnovers. He's got to be better. He's got he's to be better. I mean, look, it's nothing, it's nothing a bad thing. I'm just, it's nothing a knock on him. He just needs to be better. He's the best player in their team. He's the best player, in my opinion, in the game. He, he's, they got to get him something easy. They got to get him... Yeah, they, they got to put something out on the floor that gets him something easy. Everything he gets is 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 because he's such a great scorer. Get him some, get him yeah. an easy layup. Get him an easy pin down for that elbow jump. I don't know. Get it. Steve Nash. Uh, I think they need to do some homework. But when Bruce Brown, no offense to Bruce Brown, when he's your best player on the floor, he had twenty. He led them in scoring with twenty six. Um, he had eight rebounds and three assists. If he's your best player in a playoff game. You're probably not going to win that game, in my opinion, and that's no disrespect to Bruce Brown. I think he's a fantastic role player, um, but he's no. He's, but at least he stepped up. Yeah, but he seems like he's the only up. guy that brings energy on that squad at the moment. Um, yes, Kyrie had sixteen. Kyrie had sixteen, six for seventeen, so he wasn't great again. Um, Dragic off the bench was a donut. O for one, played eight minutes, didn't score, minus twelve. Um, Paddy Mills hit, hit a couple of big shots for him. Uh, four or five from three, but didn't play a lot. Maybe they get him back in the lineup. Who knows? But um, ugly, ugly run out. I mean, they're, they're in some trouble now. They're in some big, big trouble. So you don't see them coming out of that one. But let's move on. Let's finish off with your fact or fake news and we'll hit the hills. Uh, fact or fake news. Donovan Mitchell is a superstar top 10 player in the league. Fact or fake news? Fake news. Not there yet. Um, I think he he... His shooting clips just don't don't do it for me. I think he's a very very good player, um, but he's still young. He's got a ways to go to get to a number of years to get to that top ten. But as of today, I don't think he's a top ten player. I think there's there's better players out there um, that are in front of him. Um, so fake news that one. Yeah, I fake news it. I, I got him currently. I have him at sixteen. Uh, I I just don't. 
you know, for now, look, he's been a, a very good player. Don't get me wrong. He's an undersized two guard who gets a lot out of his game. In my opinion, volume shooter, volume scorer, doesn't do anything on the defensive side. And he's got to step up more in the playoffs. He's got to look, if he wants to be in that realm of top 10 guys, he's got to be able to carry that team on his back. And it's not just scoring 29 a game in a series. It's actually, you got to, you got to be on for the majority of the time. He's just not. Um, so I, I say fake news as well. A very good player. Don't get me wrong, but fake news. I both. So we have a, uh, obviously we talked about injuries a lot tonight in the pod. Um, I'm going to say this with Phoenix, with Booker. If Booker is out for more than one series, can they still make the Western Conference Finals? They will make the com- – I'm sorry. They will make the Conference Finals without Booker if he's missing multiple series with that uh, hamstring injury. Fact of fact. Oh, so you're essentially – yeah. I mean, uh, we don't know who's going to get through, but let's assume it's Dallas. They're playing Dallas in the second round. I don't think they get through Dallas um, without Booker. I think it's going to be very, very tough. Um, they're just going to need that extra scoring, and I think Dallas have enough good defenders to to put on CP. Finney Smith will probably get a chance at that. If it's Utah, maybe. Um, I think they have a better chance against Utah in the second round. Um, but, yeah, I think they, they need Booker back. They need Booker back in that second round. Like I said, it won't affect them this round, but you want to go into that conference finals, you, your second round in the West is going to be very tough. As it is in the East, I think both, both second rounds are going to be tough. Um, you need you need to get as healthy as you can. Um, so I think it's what it's it's probably ten days away. Um, that's a pretty quick rebound from a hamstring. So I'm not optimistic. Maybe he joins them halfway through the series. But um, yeah, I, I, if I had to today, I'd say fake news. Yeah, I'm saying fake news. I, I just don't think. I think the lack of firepower and how Dallas guards. I think Dallas would be. You know, I think Dallas would beat Utah, and I think. Dallas with a healthy Doncic, and we'll assume that he's going to be healthy. It's just going to be too much to, to handle. I think Booker being that scorer, I don't think they have enough. I don't think they have that elite second score to go without Booker. I mean, CP can do it a little bit. You know, he could give you 20, 25 on any given night, but like, you know, Aiden could give you a little bit, but I think they really need that guard. I think if you're going to do anything, um, you know, obviously Jokic is the only one of the only guys you could probably say that about. I think that if you're going to have an elite score, it has to come from the one or the two, and or the three, but mostly a one or a two. A guy who handles the ball, a guy who can you know can score in multiple ways. I, I think fake news. I don't think they can make a conference final without Booker. All right, same. Uh, let's go to the East on the same deal. Middleton, if they're missing him multiple series, then multi, you know, say they they miss him second second series. Um, do they? Do does the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks will make the Eastern Conference Finals without Middleton if he misses multiple series, this one and the next one? Fake fact or fake news? Mm. So that, that's Boston, right? That's Boston. Yes. Yeah. Fake news. No. No. You need you need you need to be healthy against Boston, and scoring is going to be an issue for him. I think Boston's best best defense in the league. Um, they're going to put something together for Giannis and try to limit his production, boxes and elbows. You've lost another very good three-point shooter. They they need a healthy Middleton to even even compete to get to the conference finals. In my opinion, I think Boston might be might be the favorites against um, against Milwaukee in that series. Um, if Milwaukee, of course, get through, which they should get through the Bulls. So I think both Booker and Middleton need to be there for both their respective teams to be in the conference finals. Yeah, I think fake news as well. I think that um, I think Boston and Dallas will be in the finals. To be honest with you, and the, the, the way things are shaping up, and of course, I'll probably be embarrassed and something's going to happen. But 
I think that Boston's playing great. I think that they're they're dominating on both ends of the floor, and they've got star power. They've got a bench. Those guys play together. Um, I think even without with Middleton in the lineup, they would have a hard time with Boston. I'm not saying they wouldn't beat them, but that would go six or seven games minimum. And uh, I say it's fake news. I say they don't um, make the conference finals if Middleton can't come back um, for next series for sure. Totally agree. Beautiful. Another week, another one in the books. Thanks everyone for joining us again. Rogue Bogues on all your social media platforms at Hoop Consultants for Pro. And we will see you all next week for more playoff action. See you guys next week. I'm sure I'll have another trainer line so uh, story for you guys. So tune in. <laughs> that might be our new, a new niche. Yeah. Shitting on trainers. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs>